Welcome to the raw and uncensored Ambitious Podcast. During our time here together, I will be instilling all of the strength, power, and determination you will need to use the very stones thrown at you to build your ultimate empire. We will redefine the word bitch from the derogatory to the acronym being in total control of herself. So let's adjust our crowns and prepare to live life ambitiously. Oh, yeah. Here I am, the original HBIC, Katie motherfucking Boyd. And on this episode of the Ambitious Podcast, we have a real treat. We have an incredible guest, Rita Roloff. Rita helps people heal from their breakups and divorces. Her divorce allowed her to reevaluate her life and what she truly desired. She believes breakups and divorces are great opportunities for people to grow and radically reclaim themselves. She helps people live ambitiously by rewiring their negative subconscious beliefs about themselves and about love. Guys, this is such a fun conversation. I know it's going to help so many women out there in ambitious land heal and think in a different way. And I have just known Rita for so long, and this is such a full circle moment for me as a woman and as a coach, because I have known her for a really long time. And we get into a little bit about that in the podcast. And you guys are just going to absolutely love this conversation. It's raw it's real, and it's good. So without further ado, let's get into it with Rita Roloff. Rita, thank you so much for being on the Ambitious Podcast. This has been a long time coming, and uh, my panties are wet. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. This is going to be so good because I love, first of all, I love talking to people that I've known forever because you're like a sister to me, Mm -hmm. and we have such a past And who you are today is definitely not who you were 10 whatever years ago when I first met you. And I just cannot. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, bitch. Touche. I'm just really excited for everybody to hear about you, your evolution and what you're doing now, because what you're actually doing now for a business is so freaking needed. You're working with people on how to heal from divorce and breakups and just really low vibrational frequency relationships that no longer serve mm-hmm. their highest, greatest good. And I know that's going to resonate with everyone out there in a bitches land. So thank you for being mm-hmm. here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start at the very beginning, which is as Mary Poppins would say, a very good place to start. So let's talk a little bit about how we met. I want the listeners to know the whole story. Yeah, I was competing in a pageant. I know, I know. <laughs> Why do so many podcasts start like this? It's like, well, I was doing a pageant and then I Katie. <laughs> yeah, but that is how I met. I don't even know how exactly I found you, but you're like the go-to fitness I know how you found pageants. me. Maybe. I know how you found me. Pageant Planet. Oh, okay. I wow, swear to God. Memory. Yeah, no, I remember. I'm so weird like that. Like, I can't remember what I had for <laughs> breakfast this morning, but I can remember like how I met people. So it was Pageant Planet. And then like Pageant Planet emailed me and they're like, you have someone that wants to work with you. And I was like, okay. And then I just fell in love with you from the first moment I talked to you on the phone. Yeah. So we did fitness related stuff, but I think what I really remember was like the death meditation. And at that time I was working at JP Morgan as a software engineer intern in New York city. And I just hated my job. And I just remember 
I had to wear business casual and I'm literally a software engineer. I had to like, literally I'm coding wearing business casual. And it just, I remember walking into a meeting one time and like all these kids my age and they're 20, just wearing like dark suits. And I was just felt so soulless and I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And it was like, I was going to college and I thought this is exactly what I wanted. And I was like, I have no clue. So I had like a early quarter life crisis. And I think I was 19 <laughs> or yeah, 20 absolutely. when I met you. And then I flew to New Hampshire over a weekend to do the death meditation. I'm, I don't think you called it a death meditation because I don't think I would have attended if it was no. called a death meditation. No, I would just get people to come to like my events and then I'd be like, so <laughs> get your rubber underwear on because we're going to do mortality meditation. And you were like, oh, yeah. cute. And then you're like, not so much. I think it was called spirit. It was called spirit day. Yes. And death meditation <laughs> was part of spirit day. Mm -hmm. But you didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just remember crying. And part of the meditation was like, in 15 hours from now, you're going to die, <laughs> more or less. And it just made me rethink my life and how I was living, not for myself, and living based on other people's standards. And I didn't realize it. Where do you think and that came from? Because I love to hear where these like limiting self-beliefs come from, because I know that you work just with limiting self-beliefs, really, with what you do now. The, yeah. Well, I didn't go, I didn't grow up in like a financially stable household. And so it was kind of fed into me, like you either be a doctor or a lawyer or you do certain profession because it's more stable. And I also didn't receive like a lot of validation at home. And I got most of my validation from school. Like if you get, if you do well in school, you get an A. So I yes. got validation. I liked when teachers complimented me. So I just did like the standard traditional do well in school and then you go to college. And so I was getting, I was feeding off of other people's validation naturally. So I would say that was probably why. And I just thought that in order to be successful, I just need to follow a traditional path. Well, if they, when they hear about what your life is now, they're going to shit a purple Twinkie because it's the antithesis yeah. of that, right? <laughs> so you flew out to New Hampshire. You actually slept over my house. You stayed yes. with me. So we did Spirit Day. And then I remember like hanging out with you after and you're just like, holy shit, like what the fuck just happened to me? And I was like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. And then how much between the spirit day experience and then like you having like this what you call like a quarter life crisis early or a lot of people call it like a spiritual awakening mm -hmm. or like a small ego death like how long did it take you to be like what the fuck am i fucking doing i think i've always was questioning who i was in life um and i didn't realize why until recently and it was because I was technically, I was born in Japan, but uh, me and my family left the country when I was three years old. And so I was like very used to being raised like a Japanese way, even though I was three and I didn't think it was a big deal to come to the U.S. But I was talking to someone and that was like some small trauma related to moving. And I used to speak Japanese, actually. And then I forgot my language. So I kind of felt like I didn't know who I was and like my who my what my culture was and so I was always doing like self-help stuff but it was so such an illogical manner and not in a spiritual approach and I felt like yours was more of a spiritual approach instead of like self-help like do this 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 like although you do that I think what was missing from me was like the spiritual aspect of it like and that really guided me of just like trusting the universe and Japanese trusting. people are very spiritual like they take their spiritual practices very seriously. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe in a way that was like in your cellular DNA to mm-hmm. want that. But the way that you were raised and how you got your validation as a child kind of led you down that path to be like a ro- almost like a robot. Pretty much. Like do the next thing, then that, that happens, <laughs> and then the next thing. Instead of like, mm-hmm. I'm more esoteric, I'm more woo-woo because I'm mm-hmm. more of like a heart-centered feeling type person. Mm-hmm. Like you can just check in, as you know, with your own heart every day and be like, okay, how do I feel right now? And if you feel like a bag of smash assholes, you know that you're doing shit that's not resonating mm-hmm. with who you are and what your life's path is. Exactly. And I think that mm-hmm. that's kind of what happened to you. Yeah. And I think I was ashamed of the spiritual side because I was, you know, my major was computer science. I was around super technical and super logical people where like everything has to be science back. And so I kind of was ashamed of that side and I hit that side for such a long time. I did. I, I I get it too because I always was woo woo, and then I would say things to people who were very logical and very smart and very like you know that other side of the brain, mm-hmm. and they would be like, "This just doesn't align with." I don't get it. This doesn't resonate. Mm-hmm. So then I had to start as a coach, finding more of the science backed stuff. Like, why do we meditate? Why does our subconscious mind work this way? Like, show me freaking brain scans. Like, show mm-hmm. me like before and after scientific. Th- you know. So that actually helped me become more scientific. And I feel like when you can blend the both, which is what you do so well, that's why I love what you do and I can't wait to tell everybody about it. When you blend the esoteric with the science, it will make perfect sense to everyone. Like no one can really fight that. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mm -hmm. I do sound healing and you've done sound healing with me before. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. But like, why are we doing this? And then I could be like, well, John Hopkins University just did a study and Harvard just did a study. And Mm -hmm. the sound actually goes into you at a cellular level and they can show people, you know, healing from different illnesses and diseases and sicknesses and things like that. And then people are like, oh, okay, I accept it. But it has mm-hmm. to have that little bit of a scientific background, which which is so up your alley. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you went through all this stuff with me, and then you went on your own little path for a while, right? Like, we, yeah, we 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 always were in each other's periphery, but we mm-hmm. didn't like talk all the time and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So, during that time where you kind of went on your own, what was going on with your life, like business wise, work wise, life wise? Like, tell tell the listeners all about that. I still feel like every year I had a quarter life crisis. <laughs> So I was still majoring in computer science and I was just like, I think deep inside me, I was like, oh, I need to be on a more spiritual path. And I just didn't know how it looked like. I only know your like career. I'm like, oh, it's possible to make money doing this type of things. But you know, when you're in a certain environment, you kind of get like sucked back in there. And so like every year I was kind of like, oh, what do I do with my career? And I was just trying to be very logical about it. And I think there was a time where I was like, one of uh, my boss at Microsoft, I was trying so hard to get a promotion and she, I got like one of the highest bonuses at my level. And she's like, aren't you so happy that you got one of the highest bonuses and you're going up like the corporate track. And deep down I said, I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I couldn't say no to her. So I was like, yeah, I'm so happy. And I think that's when I started working with you again. Cause I was like, I don't have no fucking clue what I want to do in my life. I need help. <laughs> so yeah. So when we started working together again, it was about what, two years ago around ish. Yeah, it was close. Yeah, it's like pandemic starting. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that also, not to talk about this big C, but do you think that yeah. also was something that was like, what the fuck? Like, I need to do something. Like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah, because I was also just like stuck in the house, especially in San Francisco when everything was closed down. I was just like stuck in the house and just like working. And I think that just wasn't good for my mental health. 
And can you tell everybody like what you were doing for work, like how serious it was, yeah. like, how high end it was incredible <laughs> what you were doing, but not, yeah, it was, not good for you in the long term. Well, I was a product manager at Microsoft. Uh, no, no, no big deal. Yeah. So I was working on Azure, the cloud, like you probably heard of AWS. Yes. Um, so it was work-life balance was actually good. And my team members were actually good. Like the culture was good. Like on paper, everything is good. But for some reason, I just wasn't fulfilled. Like it was just like, I didn't want to spend eight hours of my day. Just my work was essentially helping engineers. And I was like, I went through all of this schooling, not saying engineers don't need help, <laughs> but right. it's just like, I didn't enjoy the job and I just didn't feel like my work was impactful. And so, so you would like get up in the morning and you would just like get up in the morning, do what you had to do and then go to go into work because you were in San Francisco. So you weren't going into Microsoft every day. You were working. No, from I was home, working from home. Yeah. Which is hard too, right? Because there's no human yeah. interaction other than the people that you're working with, that you're living with. And mm -hmm. so you would get up every day and for eight hours straight, you would be on Zoom calls and Zoom calls and Zoom calls and helping these people. And then like, what did you feel like at the end of the day every day? Did you have like a feeling like, like, yuck? <laughs> I think after my first year, I did because the first year I was just so focused on getting a promotion. And so my energy was there. And then once I got my promotion, I was like, oh, I don't feel as good as I thought. Because I thought it'd make me happy and I'd be so excited. And I realized it wasn't making me happy. And I also didn't know what would make me happy. So I was stuck. You know, there. what did Katie teach you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> right. We make all these three dimensional goals and we think like when I hit this goal, whether it's a promotion at work or a car or a vacation or whatever, we think like, oh, we're going to have this like incredible like wave of happiness come over us and we're going to be happy for the rest of our lives. And as you know, and I I've talked about my experiences with, with this as well, like it's about the journey. And it's about the resonation and it's about the alignment of your life's contract. And if you're not happy along the way, then no big culmination of success is going to make you feel any any sort of way, right? Did you feel like when you were working at Microsoft, did you feel like you were the only one that felt like this? Or did you feel like there was other grumblings of people that were just like not happy, but they were like, fuck, I just, I came this far. I'm not going to come this far to only come this far. I did because like, it's not, I didn't feel appropriate just to ask people, are you actually happy at this job? You know, see, I can't just ask people that, you know, see, that's so, why I can't work at a corporate place. Cause I'm a fucking HR nightmare. Cause I would be hired <laughs> the first day. Cause I would actually ask people that. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of felt alone in that, even though it was interesting once I like left Microsoft, it was people started talking about their dream projects and their passion projects. They know that the reason why I was leaving and so it's so interesting, like, oh, people do feel the same way. It just isn't appropriate just to talk about it in public. But they, it probably is appropriate, but no one thinks it's appropriate because they are like, well, mm -hmm. I don't want to seem like I don't, I'm not appreciative or I don't want to mm -hmm. get in trouble. Or I don't want people to look down on me, maybe the upper yeah. management or whatever. But that's the, tr that's the thing too, is your work is not who you are. And I think mm -hmm. that so many people, because I have a ton of friends that work for Google and work for Microsoft and they work out there in California and they do have passion projects and they do have all these outside things that they love. And I think what happens is, though, just as you probably did, you get mm -hmm. so much of who you are is your work. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's just what yeah. we do. Even mm -hmm. I get sucked into it sometimes, you know, like helping people all yeah. the time. And then I'm like exhausted and burnt out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I got to take a step back because this is mm -hmm. not aligning, you know? Yeah. 
So, okay. So then after all of these crises, which really were just little <laughs> tiny, <laughs> were little tiny ego deaths. So a little bit at a time, your ego was like, Rita, what the fuck? This isn't good for me. Right. And you're like, shut the fuck up. I'm making all this money. Right. Like I'm living this, this life that I thought was going to make me happy. And then you, at the same time, when all this was going on, you were married. <laughs> so can we get yes. a little bit into that? So you're living with your husband in mm-hmm, yeah. San Francisco, in your mm-hmm. apartment, during lockdown, and you're having many ego deaths, and you're not yeah. like, loving your job. And like, then you hire me to be your coach because you're like, okay, Katie, help me back in the dizzle. Maybe yeah, she can help yeah. me again. So like, tell <laughs> tell everybody about that time in your life. Well, it sounded like a lot of work, huh? Now that I'm here. <laughs> It's interesting. I got married very young. I don't regret it. But it's so interesting when you're having a lot of ego death and you're trying to figure out yourself and you're also with someone at the same time, very young. And I'm just like trying to figure out myself going on this more spiritual path. I'm like, I don't even know what I want in life. And sometimes I feel bad for him because I was like, he's trying to sometimes help me. And I'm just like, I really don't even know like how to help myself. Right. And so that was also really hard and like trying to discover myself without forcing someone down a, you know a spiritual path right too. right so that's how old were you when helpful. you got married <laughs> 24 oh my god you know what i was doing when i was 24 i was just blowing random guys in the woods <laughs> maybe i should have done that <laughs> no because you wouldn't be here now you'd be somewhere else <laughs> Oh my God. I love you so much. I just think of being 24 years old and getting married and I'm like, I can't even, I didn't even know how to wipe my own ass at that. But you are such a different person than I was when I was 24. So yeah. you fall in love with this guy. You guys get married. Yeah. He, he was pretty much your age as well, right? Maybe a couple years like old. A year, two years old. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And then, so you're married to him. You're in the middle of the lockdown. You're in San Francisco. You're having like all these ego deaths. And then you go to a psych K convention, right? Mm-hmm. let's talk about that because so everything, we... everything everything locks up I promise yeah so actually we I did Psyche before we got married so I did Psyche in I think September and then that, in that December we got married okay. so a lot of things happened um during my relationship with my previous partner like I changed so much uh even in the last six months so I did Psyche and I don't know how I found out about it, but I was following someone and she was talking about how great Psyche is with changing your subconscious beliefs. And I was also working with someone like, cause I had no fucking clue what I was doing. So I was just working with a lot of people yes, and she's like, trying to read figure my, it out. yeah, she read my Akashic record. And at first I was like, this is so bullshit, but you know, all doing this logical stuff isn't helping me. So let me just get into the spiritual stuff and see yeah. what happened. So I was very open to it. And she's like, yeah, you're going to very be interested in healing and helping people and I was like there's no clue there's no way because like I'm so introverted I don't like talking to people there's no <laughs> I guess there's certain things I just didn't like talking to people about and so I just thought I don't like talking to people and she's like just start trying to do different spiritual stuff and I saw someone uh, talking about psyche how it was amazing how it changed her life I never did a psyche session ever and then I was like okay let me just do this like weekend workshop and it was down in um San Diego. And so it totally changed my life. And I thought I was a much more healed person. (laughs) And I remember like the second day crying and bawling my eyes out on like, which is not like you, by the way. 
I know you're not. You're like <laughs> like we're not. We're not criers, and we're not like emotional people like that. Like we hold everything, we bottle everything yeah. up. So when you did that Psyche weekend and you guys mm-hmm. went obviously through the whole, and I want you to explain what Psyche yeah. is to people in a second, but when you went through that weekend and you went through all the Psyche processes, mm-hmm. the second day you're like a fucking hot mess. You're crying. Mm-hmm. You're like, whoa, I thought yeah. I healed all this shit, but now I realize mm-hmm. there's so much stuff in my subconscious that is mm-hmm. actually blocking me from having yeah. all of my dreams mm-hmm. and desires and aspirations. So tell mm-hmm. tell tell people like about what Psyche in a nutshell actually is and who invented it. Yeah. Psyche was created by a marriage and family therapist and also a biologist. So this marriage and family therapist, he was a therapist for 10 years. Um, Robert Williams, he was therapist for 10 years. And he realized, although he was able to help people make some change, the change wasn't long-term. It was temporary. And he was like, okay, I want to figure out a way for people to make more permanent change. And one day he had this spiritual download. I wish to one day for me to have a spiritual download like this that helped him figure out, okay, this entire psyche process. I have that. Those things have happened to me before. Yeah. I'm just waiting one day for that to happen. Just put and it then, out there. Just say, <laughs> God, I'm ready for my spiritual download. <laughs> and then he partnered with this um, biologist, like PhD in biology. And his work is like, how can you change your beliefs? Like, how can you change your biology to change your beliefs? So they work together to create this method. Is this Bruce so Lipton? Yes, Bruce Lipton. Yeah. He has an amazing book, guys, which is called Change. Wait a minute. I have it. You told me to get it. Biology of Belief. That's belief what it is. is biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. If you guys haven't got that book, it's a dope book. Read it. It's good. Yes. And so, yeah, they work together to create this modality. And for instance, um, for me, I didn't know it didn't feel safe for me to feel my feelings. Like I just used logic a lot and I intellectualized. And what was blocking me from um, getting all the benefits of Psyche when I was at that training was I was kind of afraid to know what was deep in my subconscious. Because I was like, I'm kind of scared, you know, to really know Fuck what's yes. deep down there. And I was also afraid to show my emotions, especially around a group of people. So I didn't show my emotions. And then I just started crying the second day. And I was talking to this lady. I was like, it just doesn't feel safe for me to show my emotions. And then we worked through like a psyche process. And I remember that night I uh, texted my husband. Like, I was like, I miss you so much. I can't wait to hug you. And I was like, I would never say that. And it just showed me right away, like how when you change your beliefs, your actions naturally change. And it happens so quickly. And so that made me, yeah. And that made me a believer right away. Yes, because we are not huggy people. No. We're not, like <laughs> my husband will hug me because his love language is physical touch. Yeah. And swear to God, like he'll hug me and I just put my arms down by my side. I'm like, what do I do with my mm-hmm. arms? Do I go and hug him back? Like I'm fucked. <laughs> but me and you have such similar feelings mm-hmm. about things because the way I was brought up and maybe this is also the way that you were brought up is like, um, don't tell anyone that's going on in the house. Um, shut the fuck up. Don't cry yeah. in front of people. It's weak. Like mm-hmm. just like stiffen your upper lip, pull yourself mm-hmm. up by your bootstraps and just like keep calm mm-hmm. and carry on. I was just definitely raised more by like my grandmother who was a depression era child mm-hmm. and that's and a World War II baby. So like that is just how I was kind of brainwashed as a child. And then as I got older, when you're supposed to feel normal emotions, you feel like a fucking creep. Because you're like, everyone is feeling this way and I don't feel this way. Is something wrong with me? I don't, did you ever feel that way when you were going through all of your like um, experiences with your healing? 
I think my emotions were just on the extreme end of the spectrum. Like I was either happy or sad. Like I didn't know in between, you know, There's and no I didn't celebrating your emotions. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I felt deep sadness and depression where I was like, okay, something is wrong. Yes. Yeah. Like I was just, it just didn't feel safe for me to feel my emotions. And it wasn't like my parents told me not to, but I think they just didn't know how to handle and receive my emotions growing up. Cause my right. mom is Japanese. My dad was in the military. <laughs> so yeah. that's like a recipe for an emotional yeah. kid. <laughs> hell, hell yeah. Absolutely. freaking lutely 100%. The wow. Yeah. You're given like every time you talk, I, my whole body is like every hair on my body is standing up straight because like what you're saying is go- I know for a fact is going to help and resonate with so many people that listen to the Ambitious Podcast mm-hmm. because I get tons of emails all the time that they're just like, my emotions aren't normal. Like I'm literally mm-hmm. either dire straits depressed and like in my pajamas for a week, or I'm like on the other end of the spectrum. And a lot of people would be like, well, maybe you're bipolar. You have your manic. And it's yeah. like, no, I'm not. I just really don't know how to act because I was never yeah, taught how to regulate my emotions and feel homeostatic, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. So after you did the psyche situation and you came home from that weekend, did you feel like the healing started to like really <laughs> ramp up? Okay, let's talk about that. I remember walking around San Francisco and it just felt lighter. I just felt different. It was weird. Um, I just started to trust things even if it didn't have like, like sometimes before I was like, it needs to have a logical reason. Like I need to understand everything in order for me to trust it. And then I just, I learned how to just trust things. And I think that really helped me in my path. Because I also think that I was protecting myself because if I didn't understand it, I was scared of what may happen. Like not saying like, oh, you shouldn't ask questions and understand why things happen the way it is. But sometimes we get so fixated on the why and the how and we get so stuck there and we intellectualize it and it actually helps us be safe in where we're at instead of actually like doing the thing. Right. I agree 100%. Yeah. So, okay, you come home from the psych case stuff, you're feeling lighter, you're starting to feel your emotions in a different way. Mm. When did you say, okay, I'm going to start working with Katie because I think that she's the one that can help me go to this next level? Was it because I had already been super successful in a coaching arena and you're like, oh, I want to know what that bitch is on? Because mm. that's usually what people do. They want to work with me because they were like, what do you know that I don't know and how can you teach me these things so that I can take my own business and go to the next level? Yeah, it was definitely for business reasons, like getting my business off the ground. But it's also like your energy. Like I've never met someone with your energy and then who's just like, if you go to someone about your dreams, most people are like, oh, that's cool. Or they're like, oh, be more realistic. But you're the type of person that's like, okay, how can we take it to the next level? And that's so, I haven't met someone like that. That's just just so different about you. That's really nice because no one's ever said that to me. And I didn't even know that I actually did that for people. But I really truly believe because where I came from, I should not be, and you know my story and everyone here knows my story, like I shouldn't be who I am, but Mm -hmm. there's like a recipe that you can follow and each person, it's just like making a cake, right? It's like, or Mm -hmm. doing a mathematical equation or chemistry, like these things when mixed together, make this other thing, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's where my scientific Aquarius side Mm -hmm. comes out. Yeah. And yeah, it's possible. I think anything is possible. I don't think anything Mm -hmm. is impossible because if it's been done before, I believe it can be done and replicated again and again and again. And as you know, the universe is unlimited possibilities, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so I always, I always come from coaching 
no matter yeah. if it's like on my app or in mentorship or whatever, I always come from coaching is like, I always want to be the me that I didn't have when I was growing up. So mm-hmm. like when a young person comes to me like your age and they're like, I want to do this thing. Like I want to be like the fucking best cheerleader for you. And I, yeah. it's not that I'm faking it. I really truly believe that the people I work with can achieve their dreams, goals, aspirations, but they have to follow mm-hmm. like what I, what I call like the recipe. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we started working together, you started, you started coming to me. And at first you were like, I'm going to do this psyche thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand it yet. I mean, I knew Bruce Lipton and I, and I knew about psyche, but I'm like, okay, I don't understand how it works because psyche is very, um, it's very different from other modalities where it's not like widely talked about. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost like, I, I hate to use this word because I can't come up with a better one, but it's almost like secretive, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. They don't want to keep, they don't want to do it like um, live. They don't want to show it in, because, and why is that? I, I, always, I never asked mm-hmm. you that question. I think it's because people will see a snippet of it and then they will try it and then they're like, it, will, it doesn't work. So they're afraid if people, um, do that and there's so much that goes into it too like for instance they say like oh when you're doing psyche when you're facilitating psyche with someone like being the isomotic state and that's like a state of presence and most people have a difficult time being present especially especially if you're being trying to be present in front of a audience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's really hard and it's very nerve-wracking for another person too especially if they've never realized you know, what is in their subconscious beliefs, or if most people, they're scared to show their emotions. And sometimes psyche can be very emotional. Yeah. So when you're doing it in front of someone, they want maybe, like, they're not going to like share everything that has happened in their life. Right. Because they'll they're hold afraid back. Of, they'll hold back. Yeah. And they're not going to show their feelings. And a big part of psyche is like feeling your feelings. Yeah. And so I think that's probably Absolutely. why they don't want to show it in front of people, because I think that will interfere with the entire process. It makes, to- it makes total sense. hundred percent. That's why when yeah. people like uh, Tony Robbins, you know, Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. he'll have those like weekends, like unleash the power within. And he'll do the, these breakthroughs where mm. he'll call on someone in the audience and do like this, yeah. almost like, almost like, you know, limiting self-beliefs go through mm-hmm. it. It's not psyche, obviously, but like, I, mm-hmm. I understand what he's trying to do. And I always feel like I watch it. Like if you ever watch that movie, I am not your guru. I watch it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, some people are having like crazy breakthroughs and yeah. some people are like, you can tell they're holding back because they're like, fuck, there's 10,000 people in this goddamn yeah. <laughs> arena. How am I going to like say that? Like I was raped as a child by my dad mm-hmm. or like the, or whatever the thing is, you know? So I totally get that. That makes, that makes sense. Cause today I was like, Rita, do some psych K on me on the podcast. She's like, no bitch, that's not how it works. <laughs> but I love that. I know that's, but it's awesome. And I love that it's um a modality of how you coach people now. So, mm-hmm. Now you start working with me. We start working on your business stuff. And the whole time we were working together, right up until like almost like the last couple months, mm-hmm. you were like very much like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. And you were still working at Microsoft, by the way. Yeah. And you didn't even know if you really wanted to leave Microsoft or stay. I was were, scared for sure. Yeah. <laughs> why, why do you, where do you think the biggest fear would come from other than like leaving a massive amount of money on the table and like starting oh, from scratch? Um... If that wasn't enough I, to scare the shit out of you. Yeah, I think that was big thing and also money. Yeah. Because I came from like a financially uh, unstable household. And during the last recession, uh, I was in middle school, but I remembered it because my family filed for bankruptcy and we had to like leave the house. We got evicted from our home and we stayed in our dad's office for a week. 
And then ironically, once I was leaving Microsoft, they're like, it's going to be another recession, you know? So I kind of had that. Hashtag triggered. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a lot. And I think, um, when you're in an environment, like I love Microsoft, but a lot of the people are very conservative in like their finances and they're not taking a lot of risks. And when you're around those people who are like talking about the economy, talking about bad things that happen in the news, it just naturally just filters into your beliefs and thoughts. And you're just, so I think that was the big thing was money. And like, what if I fail? Like the big thing is like, I'm going to be homeless. (laughs) Even though that's not going to happen. Right. Um, Those, those was the biggest thing, but I, Definitely think Site K helped me a lot because it was like once I quit, they kind of even before they're like, it's gonna, it's the beginning of the recession. So Site K definitely helped with my beliefs and also just like regulating my nervous system. I don't think if I had those two things, I probably would not have quit. So when you say regulating your nervous system, can you explain to the listeners Mm -hmm. like what that means to you? To me, that means feeling my emotions. And what's so interesting is that raw emotions typically don't last more than 90 seconds if you actually feel it. Obviously, more traumatic stuff takes longer. And so what I've learned to do is like first locate where it feels in my body. And at first, before I started feeling my emotions, I was like, that's so weird. Like, why would it live in my body? Like, why would there be any sensations? But first, I started locating it where it was in my body and actually expanding it. I know that sounds weird. No, I love But once you expand it and feel into it, you it'll start to dissipate. Mm-hmm. And just allow any thoughts and to come up and try not to reason like why this is happening. Cause sometimes that blocks us from actually feeling. Yeah. And just yeah, those are the things that I do and just like take deep grounding breaths. Yes, and yoga yes. has helped me a ton, like oh. having a morning practice. Absolutely. So okay. So you're at the tail end of <laughs> Microsoft. And then where you were like, yo, I'm quitting my fucking job and I'm going to go travel the world and I'm going to go to yeah. India. So tell us, talk about that. This is yeah, fucking so- crazy. <laughs> I'm like saying it and I'm like, this is a fucking, like, this is like a eat, pray, love, dude. Yeah. Someone told me like my life is like eat, pray, love. And I never watched the movie until this December. Oh my, I was like, was, fuck, my was life is like eat, pray. Well, except no. I should have went to Italy first. <laughs> if I went to Italy first, then it would have been exactly like eat, pray, love. Right. In Bali. That's right. Uh, So I took a Kundalini yoga class, like a teacher training in January. And I was like, oh, I bet I can learn way more in India. So that thought was in my head. And I was like, why don't I go to India? So once I quit my job, I went to India to take a yoga teacher training, like a two month yoga teacher training. Uh, Can I I stop you for one second, though? Like this, I just got a download. Like what Spirit just told me is like, you had to escape the life energy environment here. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that propelled you to who you are today. Because if you had stayed in San Francisco and just been like going to the, like the local Kundalini yoga ashram, you would never have done any of the things that you've done in the last Mm -hmm. like six to nine months. Am I right? Exactly. It like, if I would have known everything that happened to me in the last six months before I quit, I probably wouldn't have quit my job. (laughs) Cause so much, so many things have happened to me. Like, I got really sick in India. Uh, it was a time where I figured out, okay, this I should get a divorce. Um, but I also met so many great people, teachers, gurus, who just helped so much and how much spiritual knowledge and depth they had. And what was interesting, like my life was so simple in India. Like it, 
And I did, I felt so happy there at the same time. Like literally, I remember we had to wash our clothes by hand. Like literally, we had a bucket in our bathroom and wash. I used our to be clothes. on a call calls with you, <laughs> and you'd be like, "Look at the fucking spider over my head." I'm like, "Oh my god!" And then like all your shit would be hanging, like all your underwear and like all your yoga clothes. Yeah. And I would be like, "Rita, what are you doing, man? I don't know. I'm scared." And you're like, "No, it's the best thing ever." And I'm like, "You're a sicko." But now it's like the simplicity is the key mm-hmm. that you're there's nothing that's like tying you down. So like you can literally find out who the fuck you truly are with not a lot of things around you, you know? Yeah. I feel so free because I don't feel tied down to things. I could just go up and leave somewhere if I want to. I love that shit, dude. So you, so you're like, you say to Microsoft before you leave, Hey, hi, I know that I'm like doing this big job here, but I'm just like, I just want to go to fucking India and like learn like all this yoga stuff. (laughs) So you literally quit your job. Yeah. At Microsoft. That's all I knew I was doing. I didn't even know if I was going to do Psyche or anything. I was like, I'm going to go to India and do yoga and I'm going to figure it out after. Right. It's kind of crazy thinking about that. <laughs> um, I, literally, I'm shaking right now thinking about it because so many women that I work with, they're so afraid to get out of their environment because mm-hmm. they think like that their environment will collapse around them if they leave. But that's sometimes what needs to happen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right like that that catalyzation Mm -hmm. is actually what makes everything crumble so that you can step into your power and like be Mm -hmm. you know what i say Mm -hmm. be the hbic of your ambitious life yeah so you Mm -hmm. tell microsoft yo i'm going to i'm going to india you tell your man hey i'm going to india he was like cool bye love you see you in a little bit you go to india and tell tell us about like the freaking culture shock and like this the the upside downness that you were experiencing. <laughs> it's a totally different life than here, right? Yeah, it is. So, I mean, there's cows just walking around. They're sacred. Shitting all over the place. They are sacred. Right? Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> You're like, where I come my... from in Wisconsin, they're, they've yeah, got they're cheese curds. <laughs> <laughs> no, the like, big culture shock is I arrived um, like midday and I didn't use the bathroom, but at nighttime I needed to use the bathroom. There is no toilet paper. And I was like, they're going to, I feel like they forgot the toilet paper. And then I was, I was like holding in my poop for the longest time. Cause it was the worst. And it was the worst. Yeah, but I just started Googling. I was just like Googling India toilets. I was like, they don't have toilet paper because they use like water from the toilets, like clean your butt. But the thing is like, this is not a fancy Japanese toilet where you can click it. It's warm. It's literally like this thing, like this metal thing sticking out the back of the toilet love this. and it, the water comes out straight so i was like i don't even know how it's supposed to hit my so you, so you just like d- dropped it i tried i tried i tried really hard and it didn't work and i kind of broke the seat of the toilet because i was like adjusting my butt so the water it hits at the right angle <laughs> why didn't we have a camera crew there this is so freaking <laughs> and awesome then show. i i uh the next day I was like, um, is there toilet paper here? And so I had, to, you can't flush the toilet paper down the toilet, right. at least in their to- toilet. Yes. And so I literally had a bucket of like nasty toilet paper in yes. a bucket. I've been to countries where yeah, yeah. the shit toilet paper has piled up in the trash and it's just like, this is fucking wrong. So that was like my first day in India. <sighs> <laughs> I from do think pageant every... gr- oh, from yeah. pageant girl to sh- breaking the toilet seat in India. <laughs> I do believe everyone should go to India for a month. I I know I'm not selling it, but it's like a really good experience. Well, maybe you have to have a retreat there. Yeah, just day. just saying, just throwing that. Out. I will go if you have a retreat in India. My ass will okay. be there. I'll let you know. And Absolutely. then I had like 
dengue, dengue. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like a mosquito dengue, virus. Dengue. dengue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Like dengue fever or some shit. It's called. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You were a sick I bastard. That. I remember. I was. You were so sick. Yeah, yeah. Swollen teeth. And BTW, she's all by herself. Like mm-hmm. she has no husband. She has no puppy. She has no mom and dad. Like no friends really out there that you brought with you. It was just you alone with your dirty ass. <laughs> And dirty toilet paper. And dirty toilet paper. <laughs> oh my God, not glamorous. Mm-hmm. But you were you were in like meditations and yoga practices literally from like early in the morning to late at night. Mm-hmm. Tell tell I want to hear about that. I love yeah, that story. So uh I'd wake up at 4 30. So there's like different practices you do before um you do yoga. So there's like jalaneti where you clean your nose. I didn't even have time. Like I was like, in order to do all this, I need to wake up at 4 a.m. and I'm not gonna do that. So like 4 30, I'd wake up, drink a liter of water, take a shower. So for them, they said it's important to take a shower, just like freshen up and it's yes. good for your energy. Yes. And so then 5 a.m. I do my yoga practice probably for an hour. And then our pranayam breathwork practice would start. And we have Kudalini yoga, philosophy. And that really didn't end till like 7 p.m. And then you would eat your one meal. Well, <laughs> I would have died. But I think <laughs> our wake up at 4.30 and then breakfast wasn't until 8 or 9. And I'm not used to that because I'm just used to eating right away. Yeah, of course. And then, and it's all vegetarian. And then, oh my God. And I didn't know what was protein versus not protein. Because I would just imagine everything as vegetables. And they had bean sprouts. And I was like, bean sprouts tasted nasty. So I didn't eat it. But that was the only source of protein. I didn't realize it until a few weeks later. And I was like, this is why I'm so weak. (laughs) Yeah. Because you're used to eating. You're a meat eater, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go out there and you go from like being a normal American meat eater or whatever. And then you go out there and you're like, bean sprouts for protein. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck are you people talking about? <laughs> but the food is actually, I didn't miss meat when I was in India because it's just diverse vegetarian yes. food and it's very good. Would you ever sneak away and like cheat on, cheat on, get some like delicious Indian food with meat? Oh, there's in Rishikesh, it was, it's not legal to sell meat or alcohol. So, so you can't even. No, you can't no, drink and you can't eat meat. At least in Rishikesh, where I was. Oh. In India, you, there's other places, but in Rishikesh, because there's like a holy uh, river, Ganga. Yes, yes. And it's like you can't wow. eat meat. Sure. So it's like you couldn't even cheat. And the people that were out there with you, were they all like fucked up too? <laughs> like, <laughs> were they, they were... all like, peace, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to India and like figure my shit out. Or like, were people like, I'm I... here for a reason? Like, what was there? Some consensus? people were here for a reason, but I think most people are like trying to figure out their spirit, like their path and like what to do next in life. Yeah. yeah. But I kind of liked it because people were just so honest and vulnerable, which I, you know, like for instance, asking people because I was like I don't really want kids in life and like I can't just I mean I can't ask people like are you happy you have kids like in America they're gonna say yes because it looks bad to say otherwise but at least when I was in India they were just so honest like if I were to do it again I wouldn't have kids shut the fuck up yeah things like that and it just made me realize like a lot of people pretend to have this perfect life and I was scared to, you know, live a traditional and typical life and then regret it for the rest of my life. So yeah. I think that's another thing that India helped with. Wow. So, so at what point throughout all of your dinkleberries and all of your like bean sprout <laughs> situations and like, you know, fucking training all day long, were you like, I don't want to be with my husband anymore? Mm. Well, there's a couple of things that happened while I was in India where I'm not going to disclose you don't have to none of nobody's business a couple of things that happened and 
I just realized I was very young getting married and I was like, there's so many things I want to do. And I kind of felt guilty about being married and wanting to do all these things like traveling. And I realized how much I grew in India. And I was like, I don't want to stop. And then I honestly, I was afraid of losing him. And so I I mean, that wasn't the reason I got married, but I was thinking about like the kids situation. I was like, I really deep down don't want kids. I don't want kids. You really wanted kids. Yeah. And so I, and so I was like, I thought, you know, maybe eventually I'll want kids. But then as I started talking to people and realizing it, I was like, yeah, I I really don't see that deep down. Like I've never wanted kids. And it's funny that you say that because I always, kind of subscribe to this like idea where it's like I'm going to be like a badass baller bitch and I'm mm-hmm. going to make all this money because I I too came from an unstable financial background mm-hmm. and I kept like putting having children off and my husband I think wanted a baby with me because he loves me so much and he loves us mm-hmm. so much and he's like can you imagine if we had a baby like the baby would be us but a baby and I'm like that could be bad because <laughs> <laughs> Like in your mind, I was having the same thought too. <laughs> like it could be a fucking axe murderer. Like you, you don't know. Like just because we're spiritual and we're doing all this, like you know, yeah. self help shit, like doesn't mean our baby's gonna be like that. Because every, as you know, mm-hmm. every child has its own life contract. But um, one of my mentors, Dolores Cannon, who is like the queen of past life regression, she's no longer with us. Rest in peace, Dolores. But she always says that people who come into this earth that do not want children know that they have like this bigger humanitarian reason and that they know on a soul level that having children keeps you on the wheel of karma. Because mm, attachment. Because of attachment. Yeah. And like when I heard that, and I literally have chills all over my body when I'm saying it, when I heard that, I was just like, I was okay with not having a baby because I knew mm-hmm. that like I was put here for this grander, higher vision and purpose. And I'm not saying that having a, being a mom is not like a grand high vision. I'm just saying for myself personally, yeah. I knew that like if I have a child, it's going to distract me personally from all the work I have to do because I do have um, like obsessive, obsessive compulsive disorder sometimes with things. Right. And I know that I would be so focused on that child that I would probably not be able to do my life's work anymore. Mm. I just know myself as a person. So maybe that's what, and I'm just throwing it out there, but maybe that is something on a soul level, like a soul contract that you made before you came here saying like, you can't have kids doll because you have to get off the wheel of karma because you have to have no attachments. And that's really, Mm -hmm. when I hear you talk, that's what I hear. It's like, you are the queen of non non attachment, <laughs> which I think is I can so dope. Just imagine what are you known for? I'm the queen of non attachment. People this just is, walking away. You're like this is my crown. I'm the queen of non detachment, and you're just like, and everyone's like, yes, queen. Because honestly, at the end of the day, like what we do want in this life is to be non attached. Like we like materialism, three-dimensional ideas, all these different things like actually keep us too tethered to the earth. And it's not healthy for our soul to be like that all the time. You know, if we're always fixating on like, what do I buy next? And how do I make more money to do this? And my, what are my kids doing? And what is this person doing? What is that person doing? Which, you know, but I, I, me and you are so kindred, like in our thought processes and how we are. Like, I'm just like, when you're saying this, I'm like, yeah, it makes total fucking sense. But also... These are things that when we're older, I think that you think like, oh, I should really talk to the guy I'm about to marry about children because if he wants babies, 
and I know that I don't want them. But do you think mm-hmm. that you were at a place in your life where you're like, well, maybe I will down the road. Is that what you were yeah, thinking? I thought that too. And we were very close and he's like my best friend. And so I was like, I ha- I had a fear of losing him. And I think he also had a fear too. Like we were yeah. like, maybe compromise, but you don't compromise on kids. <laughs> no. And no. so I think being in India and just hearing people be honest about it, it was like, okay, I, yeah, it was yeah. like God was speaking through them to you. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And so when you left India, you then went to Bali. Yes. Cause you were, so it's, it was like two thirds of the eat, pray, love. Yes. <laughs> yes. How long were you in India, by the way? In, for two months. And then I was in Bali for a month. Yeah. And then when you came to, when you came back home from Bali, was, were you like to your husband, like, this is it, we have to get a divorce or did you already know this before you came home? I already knew before I came home. Um, yeah, I already knew before I came home. And yeah. So when you came home, did you go back to Wisconsin or did you go back to uh, San Francisco? No, I went back to San Francisco. I mean, sorry, Wisconsin. What am yes. I talking? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so you I came home from to- Bali, went to your family's home in Wisconsin. Yeah, in Wisconsin. Okay. Yep, yep. And so from this whole experience, from like your yoga teacher training to your psych K through working with me and on mm-hmm. all your experience, what kind of got you to this place where you're like, oh my God, no, God put this in my life because I'm going to coach people on this. I'm going to help people through like their divorce and their mm-hmm. relationship problems. Like when were you like, this is it? It was probably while I was in Bali and, you know, through the divorce, I had like ups and downs and stuff, but I was, I realized I was able to navigate it much more quickly because I was able to work with my subconscious belief and like my regulate my nervous system. And so I've been doing this work probably over a year before my divorce. I feel like it was like God and universe preparing me for all this shit that would happen. And it even helped me with like my job, like quitting my job. Cause there's no way I would have quit my job in the beginning of the recession with all the trauma that I had with money if I didn't have all those tools. And so I was like, why not start helping people? And so that's how it all started. So tell everybody now what you're doing at this moment for your business. Yeah. So right now I am working with clients who have either gone through a divorce or a breakup and they want to move on from that. And so what I really focus on is helping people like increase their self-esteem and self-worth. Cause a lot of the issues fall from that. Like, why do I attract the same people as well as because you tolerate the same fuck boys or fuck girls or whatever. Yes, yes. And so I, it's less on focusing because some people come to me and they're like, I just jumped into another relationship. And I was like, well, it's because you, maybe you were seeking validation or there was some other fears that were driving it. And so we focus on working on their self-esteem and their beliefs through psyche rewiring that. I love this. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest thing that people deal with? Do you think it's self-worth and self-esteem and self-confidence? Or do you think it's like mm-hmm. they saw certain behaviors in relationships as a children and they thought like, oh, my parents just beat the fuck out of each other and tell each other mm-hmm. they hate each other. And then the next day they're friends again. And this is what love is. Like, what do you see a lot when you're working with your clients? I self-worth and what they believe they deserve because if you were to see like your parents doing some sort of behavior then you believe this is what love is and this is what I deserve so it all comes down to self-worth and like what you deserve 
That's what I notice for most of my clients. And then not trusting themselves. Like I believe everyone has intuition, gut and wisdom, but as you like, you know, live through life and, you know, people telling you what you should do, what you shouldn't do, you learn to not trust your gut. And a lot of big thing I work with my clients, like learning how to trust yourself. It seems like a small thing, but it's such a huge thing. How do you do that when you teach people how to trust themselves? Because I know how I do it in like my Mm -hmm. healing modalities, but like, how do you come at it? I I just love to know. Yeah. So in Psyche, what we do is we create like this desired belief statements. So a lot of people focus on like what their issues and their problems are. And the issue with that is it makes you identify with that story. And like you, like strengthens that neural network in your brain. Like I am a victim. I don't deserve love. Like I always get this type of mem. So then we create these desired statements. And for instance, one of my clients, he didn't feel safe telling the truth. And most people don't realize they lack safety telling the truth. So the first thing that we do is work on safety, because if you don't feel safe doing anything, you're not going to do it. So you need to have safety within your body. So we use Psyche to work on those beliefs. And it's just crazy how much change can happen once you feel safe. And what's interesting to me is like the first belief I worked on in Psyche that was transformational was I feel safe showing my feelings. So it's all about like feeling safe because the world kind of, I don't know the the word for it, but like makes you look bad for telling your truth. And it doesn't feel safe sometimes telling your truth. Especially not now. That's the most important thing. Like nowadays, like you say something that people don't like, you're fucking canceled. You can lose everything that you've ever worked for in your entire life, Mm -hmm. which is scary to a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. think about how people feel just in general and then ramp that up with the collective unconscious energy (laughs) of the people's beliefs right now in this day and age. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you, it's almost like we're going back to like secret society Mm. where we have to like move underground to find like our tribe. That's fucked up. Mm. Yeah. Which I think is triggering for a lot of people too. And I know you believe in like past, li- you know, past mm-hmm. life regression. And I know you believe like that we hold like this ancestral lineage mm-hmm. in our cells. I know you epigenetically and all that stuff. So it's like you literally have the perfect shit storm of all mm-hmm. the things coming into play at this. That's why what you do is so freaking needed, like beyond mm-hmm. belief. So w- a lot of the things that um, people also believe about relationships were made through neural networks as children. Can you explain mm-hmm. that a little bit? Nor- the neural, how, you know, the neurons that fire together, wire together. Cause I think mm-hmm. when we get into like the neurology of how people believe things and the biology <laughs> around pe- what people believe, it makes people understand a little bit better because I think that when we're always talking in that woo woo way, mm-hmm. it, it loses a lot of people. Right. So can yeah. you talk a little bit to the biology and the neurology of like how these patterns actually become ingrained in the grooves of your brain? Yeah. So like, let's say like the example you had, was like you saw your parents like um, mistreating each other the next day they become friends. That pattern is just stored in your subconscious mind, especially if it's emotionally triggering and has an emotional charge. Like if you think back to all your memories from childhood, the things that pop up have an emotional charge to it. And so things that have an emotional charge get stored in your brain. The reason why it gets stored in your brain longer is because, you know, if you think back in the day when you're hunters and gatherers, we're, our brain is here to protect us. Even though we're not getting chased by lions anymore, our brain is still designed to protect us. So if you're a little kid and like, let's say you're three and you see your parents fighting, that's very triggering for you and traumatizing. And then you see them become friends. It's like very confusing. And so that 
um, get stored in your subconscious beliefs. And if that keeps repeating over and over again, that's like a pattern that you accept. And if you keep telling that story to yourself, this is what love is, those neurons get fired and it it gets wired and is stronger. And then it becomes so a the, loop. It comes yeah, exactly. Loop, which we exactly. call like hypnotic rhythm mm-hmm. in your brain. It's funny that you say that because now I'm, you know, you're talking and I'm like in the back of my mind, I'm having like all these like epiphanies where my mom and dad were so young. They were like, God, 21 when they got married. Right. And they just had me when they were like your age, like, well, 24, 25. (laughs) And they were like young party kids. Right. Like they were partying all the time. Like they were they were working hard, but they were also partying. My dad had alcoholism and they also grew up in those types of environments too, where people just beat the shit out of each other and call each other names. And the next day it's like, Oh, back to, you know, can you pass the toast? You know what I mean? Like that's how it was. And I remember I was in this really abusive relationship for like five years, but I like loved this person. Like I thought this person was like, he is the everything I've ever wanted or whatever. And he also physically abused me and mentally and emotionally abused me. And I'll never forget. um, He and I had gotten like a really bad physical fight and he had left the house and I was just like in the house. And I, you know, where you have these moments where you're like, you've never felt so low mm-hmm. in your entire life. And I just was like, I can't keep doing this. Like, this is wrong. Like, this is wrong. This is, I kept saying it in my head. And I'll never forget. He came home with a bouquet of flowers, like to apologize to me. Mm-hmm. But in the flowers, you know how like the, you have like a little flower, the flowers with like the little note inside. Mm-hmm. He must have gone to a flower shop and not read the note or whatever. And it was just kind of tucked into the flowers by accident. And Mm. I opened the note card like on my own, like away from him. And the Mm. note card wasn't signed or anything, but it just, it was a little envelope and it said, get well soon. And that was like, God was like, bitch, what are you doing? And that, but I had to be at my lowest point in that relationship for it to be the catalyst. And I think that what you do so well with your clients is you probably reinst- you know, reinstate the fact that they don't have to get to that lowest, lowest point to mm-hmm. know that this shit is not good. Yeah. Why do you think that we as like a society have to get to that lowest, lowest point to catalyze ourselves out of things? Like, don't you as a coach, and this is how I feel, I wish mm-hmm. that I could just be like, okay, here's the evidence. <laughs> Like, yeah. this isn't good. It's not going to get better. What the fuck are you doing? But it's almost mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. these people have to hit rock bottom. Mm. Why do you think that that is? Why do you think that it has to be such a low energy feeling to catalyze mm. you out of something? And why do we do that as humans? I don't have the answer to that, but I think I'm thinking back to my life. Maybe you think you have no other choice but to get out or do something totally different. Right. Like I, for instance, I was thinking about my job and I was at a lowest point and then that's when I tried a bunch of stuff to help. Yeah. And so I think some people may feel like they need to have no choice or no options, but I don't have, they have a, to get like backed into it. They have to like get backed mm. into a corner to like almost be like the wild animal. That's like, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. I just yeah, wish maybe. that because both of us are coaches. I just wish that one of my biggest, deepest wishes in the world, and I probably won't happen in my day and age, but is that I just wish that people wouldn't have to get to this dark fucking place to know that what they're doing is wrong for themselves and their soul. Mm. Like, it's just so abrasive, you know? Mm. But God God works in mysterious ways, as we both know. And like, if I never saw that get well soon card, because I Mm. took it literally, like I was like, I will get get well soon, motherfucker. I will get Mm. well soon. And then after... Right after that, I had, 
you know, got my little escape plan to get out of there. And, you know, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be with who I am today. And I wouldn't be with Mm -hmm. the man that I'm with today, which is such a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. What is your biggest advice for people who are in really bad relationships right now? Like, is there a way out? Like, what is, what's your Mm -hmm. advice for them? First is to believe that you're deserving of much better. Most people don't believe that they're deserving. And I, you need to feel that first. And that's so important. And if you don't feel that now, just set that intention out there. It's so important. I love that. I love that. And you don't really, you think it's, you think that there's all these really crazy steps to get to that place. But the truth of the matter is, is just setting the intention like, hey, maybe I feel like shit right now and I'm in a bad place, but like this too shall pass, right? Mm. It's not, for the rest of your life is not going to just be horrifying, right? There is yeah. going to be, there's peaks and valleys to everything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What do you think um, the biggest lesson that you've learned as this coach now going mm. forward? Like, what do you, what are some of the lessons that you've learned working with people in this capacity? Mm. That healing isn't a linear journey. Amen. And people compare people often forget the progress that they make because and sometimes like my clients, they make so much progress and they're like, Oh, I had this trigger. I don't think we should measure healing based off of not having triggers anymore. We should measure it based on how quickly we can move through them. Oh my God. Yeah. Say that. Please say that again for the people in the back. That was so <laughs> fucking good. Yes. I'm trying to remember what I said, but <laughs> you, what you're yeah, yeah, go ahead. We shouldn't measure healing based off of not having triggers. We should measure it based off of how quickly we can move through it and oh how God, safe yes. we can feel. Yes, 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 yes. Because that is truly that is truly evolution in an energetic way. Like I think of myself 10 years ago, like if someone would say something to me or do something to me, like the old ghetto ass bitch that I used to be, <laughs> she's still in here, by the way. I just don't let her come out much anymore because she's, she's bad. She's bad. <laughs> But I think of like, if someone did this to me 10 years ago, I would fuck them up, right? I would go mm. through the, to the jugular, right? Like my mom said to me something the other day. My mom said, wow, if this was old you, you would have dragged them on social media. You would have done like a whole dissertation <laughs> on them. And she goes, now you just like sit back and I take a deep breath and I just say, okay, mm. wh- whatever. Like I let, I let things move through me. And that is when I can sit and take a step back and go, wow, like, look how fucking far I have come. And it doesn't mean that I still don't get triggered. And I'm a fucking coach. I mean, this is what I do every day of my life. And people always think like coaches have it all figured out. But we're all, (laughs) we're all works in progress, right? Yeah, yeah. And you don't want a coach that has it all figured out because they would be a lying sack of shit. Mm -hmm. You know, but I love that. That needs to be on a (laughs) t-shirt. You need to sell those. Because that (laughs) is so freaking true, man. That is the Mm -hmm. real... That's the real measure of your soul's evolution is not yeah. not to be triggered anymore, but how fast can I move through this feeling? Mm-hmm. And not in yeah. a fake way, which is like you and I would go like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. But like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. So how can you heal something when you're not even allowing it to be felt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's that's most of my clients too. And I don't do what you do. I don't specialize in divorce and relationships, but I do talk a lot about divorce and a lot about relationships in my coaching. And mm-hmm. that's when I really can measure how much they've evolved. And I will say to them, and this is why it's so important, you guys, to have a coach. 
It's so important. I mean, like, look at you're a coach now and you worked with me for over <laughs> a year and coached with me. And I think that people think by getting a coach or joining some kind of community where you're getting some kind of coaching aspect, mm -hmm. it means that you've given up or you're just a piece of mm -hmm. shit or you're a loser. And it's actually the opposite because me as a coach, and I'm sure you can attest to this because I have coached you, yeah. is I will say to you, Rita, remember like six months ago, if something like this happened, you would be a fucking hot mess. And mm -hmm. now look at you, like you're so triumphant and it's so fast. And like, you're like, oh, wow. Like I didn't even notice that. And a great mm -hmm. coach will kind of bring that mirror up and hold it into your face and see like, mm -hmm. look, like, look at, look at how far you've come. And that's so yeah. delicious when you can mm -hmm. have that happen. Yeah. That's so, so good. That's so good. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about with the, with the people out there in a bitches land? Any advice for someone who's going through a breakup or through a divorce or through some kind of even like an abusive relationship or any mm -hmm. kind of low vibrational frequency thing like this? Yeah trying to think there's so much right um through even through my healing process i have to learn that emotions are temporary and everything in life is pretty much temporary i don't know anything in life that's permanent so even if you have bad days that's totally okay and i would shame myself too because you know i'm a coach and i would feel bad by having like bad feelings that's just totally normal that's just part of the human process and that's why we're here on this earth is to feel all of the range of emotions right and it's okay and i believe that we already signed this life contract to have all these experience happen mm -hmm. to us so people will be like why do these things always happen to me right they ask these like rhetorical mm -hmm. questions or these loop questions and it's like obviously it's happening to you because you have a lesson to learn mm -hmm. and you have something that you need to remember this lesson right and the faster that we can let the things go through us, the faster we can learn the lesson and then go to the next level. Because people, like you were saying before, um, people will always say like, why do I, why do I always attract the same fuck boy over and over and over again? Right. And we didn't have fuck boys when I was younger. We didn't call them fuck boys, but like they were fuck boys back in the day. Too. Yeah. So I mm -hmm. experienced many a fuck boy, let me tell you. And I would be like, why do I keep attracting the same fucking dick over and over and over again? And then I started realizing that a, I was like dating my dad over and over again, mm. which was wild to realize that now. Or I was trying to date like the antithesis of my dad because I'm mm. like, well, maybe I'll feel really safe and feel really good if I date the antithesis of my father. But then they had their own fucked up yeah. situations too. And it wasn't until I did a lot of healing work was until I met my husband. It's like mm -hmm. God will give God will throw you the proverbial bone, right? When yeah. you get over the shit that you're that you're doing. Mm -hmm. But if you don't feel it, you can't heal it. Mm -hmm. And the, and that's why people they just go from relationship to a relationship. Mm -hmm. Like they're just throwing shit to a wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. And it's like mm -hmm. wasting so much precious life force energy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we how, put so much of our worth and value on being in a relationship. What and is that? <laughs> What well, I think it's that? society put it in that way. And it's like something that's probably easy to measure. Like it's easy to seize if someone's in a relationship or not and measure it. Whereas seeing someone's self-confidence and how much self-esteem they have, you, it's not, you can't just measure it by looking at someone right away. And I think so it's true. very comparable. So true. Um, I like to think like, for me, the more aligned I am and know who I am as a person, I'm going to attract the right person in my life. You're so right. And that's an important belief to have. Like, a, lot of, yeah. a lot of people too, um, I come into contact with this a lot when I coach women, 
if they're in like a not so great relationship, they'll say to me, but I've just put in so many years. Like I have so many years of this person. I have, I have 20 years of this person or I have five years of this person or 50 years of this person. How can I just like throw all those years away? What would you say to someone if they, if you heard that? Like, do you want 10 more years with this person? <laughs> like, it's like, if we measure by so the simple. time and like, we shouldn't measure based on the time we've invested. Like, have you learned certain lessons? And it's not like you're starting over. You're starting with experience and lessons. You know what you want, what you don't want. It's not like you're starting over. Right. And it's just imagine how, how extra five years with this person, extra 10 years with this person. Like, would you be happy? Yeah. It's all that sunk cost energy, mm. right? Like yeah. we do it with everything. We do it with like clothes that we own. We do it money. with money, right? It's like, yeah. oh, we, we put so much money into this or we bought this for so much money. Like I can't throw it away. And it's like, well, you're never going to wear it. And it's out of style and it looks like shit on you. Okay. Or, you know, <laughs> the business is failing and like you're spending, you're throwing all this good money at bad money instead of like mm. cut your losses and then go create something else. Mm-hmm. Taking all the lessons that you learn. But I hear that all the time. Like, how can I just throw away 30 years of my life? And I'm like, bitch, you want to spend 30 fucking more years of your life doing this yeah. shit? Mm-hmm. It's like they, they're just running around the fucking mulberry bush all day. And I'm like, dude, stop this. Like mm-hmm. sometimes, but people are, again, they, like you hit the nail on the head when we were first talking, like they have low self-esteem, low self-worth in the back of their heads. They think like, oh, I can't get better than this. Maybe this is all mm-hmm. I deserve. But the truth of the matter is, is like, that's not true at all. Mm, yeah. Right. And we have to collectively shift our beliefs, especially. And obviously, as you know, the ambitious podcast is more geared towards serving the, the female yeah. population. And I feel like we as women do that more than men because men are just like, oh, whatever didn't work. Fucking moving on. They don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Women are more like emotional. Like I spent so much time. I gave them my best years of my. I hear this a lot. Mm-hmm. I gave them my best, hottest years of my life. And I'm like, bitch, you're still hot. <laughs> your your coochie still works get out there yeah you know it's funny oh my god i love you so much how I can people work with you rita how can they get in touch with you how can they follow you how can they work with you how tell us all the things yes. my instagram heal with rita i'm on my instagram pretty A much lot. every single yeah. day yeah so dm me and did you have a website right now I don't, but that should be end of the year. I just wanted to work with more people and yeah. figure out the messaging before I have my website up. Absolutely. No, copy copy's important. Yes. <laughs> in the so, do, so if you're like, oh my God, this girl just lit my underwear on fire. I'm ready to go to the next level. I'm ready to have healthier relationships. I'm ready for all the things. DM Rita on Instagram. She's on there all the time. She's giving so much value, so much service, so much entertainment. Your stuff is so good. I love watching it. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so grateful that I have gotten the absolute privilege to know you and to work with you. And um, I'm always going to be backing you up on your dreams because I believe in you you so much. And you're so you're so wonderful. And you're going to help a lot of people. Thank you. Well, you really started my spiritual journey. I didn't really know it until when I, even though it was called Spirit Day, I didn't know how spiritual <laughs> it was. But it really, I think you were the one that really catapulted my spiritual Aww, journey. That makes me feel yeah. so good. I love you so much. Oh, I love you too. All right, guys, you got to follow Rita. She's amazing. And like I always say, don't forget to stay ambitious. And I will see you next Tuesday.